If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. Hey, Trout Bitten friends. This is Dominic. Season three is finished, and season four begins in just a few weeks. But in this time off, I have something special for you. I was recently a guest on the Wade Out There podcast with Jason Shemchuk. We had a fun discussion about family, kids, and fly fishing. Then we got technical about streamer tactics, presentations, and efficiencies on the river. Jason started Wade Out There in 2019 as an author and artist focused on fly fishing for trout. He recently published episode 100 of the podcast, and I'm happy to be his first repeat guest. That's the conversation I'm sharing here. You can find all of Jason's excellent work over at wadeoutthere.com. And you can easily find his podcast series through any service or podcast player. So I hope you enjoy listening to my talk with Jason Shemchuk. I'll also be back next week in your podcast feed with a short episode about the Trout Bitten Project. So until then, fish hard, friends. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. Welcome, Dominic. Thanks for being on the Wait Out There podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure. Uh, a lot has changed since we last talked in episode 33. Mm. How long ago was it? Uh, episode 33 was, well, I don't know. It was over a year ago. Definitely we're, a year. We're on, this is, I'm over 100 episodes now, so that was a big deal. I didn't want to have repeat guests. We talked about this I before. Know. Is this the 100th episode? 
No, it's not. It's 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 uh it's gonna be something after 100, but it is gonna be my first repeat guest. So I'm excited to have my first. For some reason, I didn't want to do any repeats until I got to 100 episodes. But that's an awesome goal. What I admired about and still do admire about what you're doing is uh, exactly that. You 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 have goals. You follow through with them. You continue to just you know you you you're plugging away doing what you are wanting to do. We talked about that before. Uh, most people start something I'm saying, and don't, don't, don't follow through with it. That's fair. That's human nature. But yeah. man, you're like, I'm going to keep doing the podcast every week and writing articles and doing the art and everything that you do. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. The last time we talked, I was in Missouri. Now I'm in Utah. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you're, now you're living the high life. We had that talk. You're like, I told you what I was up to, and uh, like, so wait, you're you got a blog, and you now you got this podcast yeah. thing, and yeah, you need to move to the river, man. You need right. a river. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're too far away from trout water. Yeah, I know. Well, now you're there. Problem solved. How many days a week you fishing? Uh, probably one or two. I don't know. Yeah. Probably like one average. I'd mm-hmm. say one average. How many days a week? of the week are you thinking about fishing <laughs> i mean i'm doing it all the time i'm on the road a little bit for my job but yeah uh, my other job but um yeah i get out a lot more and the other thing i get out shorter trips and it's easy yeah. for me to go with my son it's easy for me mm-hmm. to like this this morning i'll talk about that later but i was out today and uh yeah caught fish with your boy i, the, I was by myself mm-hmm. yeah that's different isn't it oh it's not even the same thing yeah. Right. Yeah, it isn't. No. <laughs> it's not even really fly fishing, but uh, yeah, it's nice to be in the mountains. It's nice to be by a trout stream. And then to share that with your kid, you know, I mean, right? To share that and to have that. How old is he again? Tommy is seven. Yeah. I mean, mine are 11 and 13. And yeah, seven is, you know, that's young to take him out there and to expect to do any fishing yourself. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was gonna end with this, but now that we're talking about it, I mm. think we'll we'll just yeah. keep going. Yeah. But uh, I want to read something that you wrote in your blog, um, Trout okay. Pitten. Yeah, it's about fishing with your kids from the archives. Okay. From the archives, and I tried to go back because okay. um, because we, I mean, Trout Pitten. We talked about this on the last episode, but yeah. Trout Pitten is a lot of tactics, yeah. and then there's an aspect of it that is just being on the water and sure. how that. That balances. You want to catch fish, but you also enjoy being on the water. Yeah, and uh, I, I totally buy that. Mm-hmm. And I think a great example of that is when you go fish with your kids, right? Because it cannot. It forces your hand a little bit. Yes, when they're young, especially, you are not. Yeah. Really fishing. Correct. You gotta kind of just not. You do other things, but so you wrote. My eyes close. I lose track of the down and distance. When they open, I've lost my place in the paragraph and forgotten the weave of the storyline. Joey steps into the shadowed hallway and rubs his sleepy face. My 10-year-old son walks to my chair and leans into me. Dad, he whispers, can we go fishing? So that was the fishing with kids article that I went, that I could kind of find in a brief look that was kind of the furthest back. And that statement, like when my, I've had a similar, I've woken up. Yeah. And my, and my boy, now that was back in Missouri, you know, and mm-hmm. we were going bass fishing at the pond and sure. stuff, but 
that statement is so special um, because I don't know. I, I want to know why why you wrote that story and and then you wrote tons of subsequent articles on that. And I wonder if you could kind of share both how that's special to you, but also the tactics of it because we want to stay tactical. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so what I mean is what what have you learned? What were some of like the biggest lessons learned about being successful, getting your kids out on the water and um, mm. kind of like developing that relationship? Yeah, that's a that's a great topic. It really is. I'd like to write a full book on that someday. There might be oh, there are at least a dozen, probably more like 15, maybe approaching 20 now. Uh, articles on trout pitting that deal with fishing with kids. Yeah. Um, I started trout pitting as a way to, sh- to document the things that I you know, kind of knew about fishing and the experiences that I wanted to share with my kids. Yeah. So that's always been important to me. Um, I just want to pass it down. You know, my dad was an okay fisherman, and uh, I spent, but I spent all that time with him fishing. Now, my uncle, I say, okay, <laughs> my dad's listening to this. He'll say, come on, dog. But, <laughs> but no, his brother, my uncle, uh, was a really good fisherman. And anyway, us, all three of us, and sometimes more, uh, spending that time together was, oh man, those were defining moments in my childhood. And yeah. really, that those are the things that become the core of who you are and they dictate so much of what's going to happen in the rest of your life. And I wanted to be sure that I was able to pass that down to my kids. And they may, both of my boys may end up to be, oh, I don't know, excellent fishermen or really into it. And they may, it may, they may be the opposite. They may not care about it much at all. Uh, but I will, I'm going to give them those experiences. Um, so I wanted, I was sure, I remember I was daytime dad. Right. And I wanted to be sure that I just had them around the water a lot. That's true. So if you're a daytime dad, yeah, you're out on the water. That's where you are. That's where they were. That's where they have to be because that's where you are. And right. So that's kind just, of just part of your lifestyle. Had them out there before they could walk. That's like, an advantage. Almost yeah. daily. All, yeah. Seriously, almost daily beside water. They were getting the smells and the sounds of water and eventually touching water and eventually, you know, just kind of sitting in it. I mean, it just in trout water. Uh, so that's always been important. I knew if I could just pass it down, then I'd feel good about, oh, what I needed to do. I felt like that was my responsibility, to give them an experience, a connection to the outdoors. And that's been important. I think that's the most important thing. And how do you actually get them into fishing? You know, once they were able to hold a fly rod, then I would hook a fish and give it to them. And boy, that's exciting for any kid. I don't, I don't care if they like fishing or not. Every kid is going, oh, man, that, oh, that feels, you know, it's fishing. That's yeah. That is exciting. Every kid loves it. Yeah. That connection to the outdoors is something that, like you said, if it's not fishing, it's the outdoors and you're giving them that opportunity. And I've, I've written a ton of articles about this because it's just, I've got little kids. And yeah. so it's almost like if I want to do this, I have to involve them, you know, yes. or I'm not, I'm not going to spend time with my kids if I go fishing all the time. And that yes. is not acceptable either. Right. <laughs> I want to, I want to be with my kids um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that I learn a ton going with them yeah. and my buddy, Pat Burke, my buddy, Pat Burke used to say, if you want to go fishing when they were real young, if you want to go fishing, grab a kid, grab a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then your wife doesn't care. You're, oh, okay. Okay. You're going fishing. 
Grab it. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. It's so be. true. If you have a boat, then you can maybe actually do some fishing as the kid is looking at other things from the boat. Or if he's right. old enough that you don't think he's going to drown, you know, just fall in face first and drown, uh, then he can build rock dams back there and catch crayfish and whatnot. My youngest <laughs> has always been good for that. Aiden's always good for that. And uh, grab a kid. Go fishing. Yeah. And I think it, it just, you got to be prepared for not not actually fishing that much yeah. but at the end um do you remember a time when so just the other day like probably i don't know two weeks ago yeah i took tommy out and i mean so proud like he he cast it he put a solid mend in yeah. you know yeah. i try not to give him a lot of line i just just enough to where right. he doesn't need to strip anything right? right just pick it up all he's doing is pick it up upstream with a mend and uh he you know i was saying set as he was setting the hook you know with the indicator and he got it on and nice fish he started reeling the wrong direction he was so excited (laughs) (laughs) so so i'm going down to get the get the fish and he's i'm like where is this fish not going anywhere and he's still holding on to the the line yeah um but he figured it out and fixed it. And that was his first, um, you know, first trout that he caught yeah. solo, pretty much by himself. I mean, mm-hmm. I netted it for him. How old? He was, was seven. Yeah, yeah, the other day. Yeah, sorry. Seven. Yep. So I wonder if you have any of those kind of memories or experiences oh, or yeah. kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. can you share like a time when, when you were like proud pop? Like, sure. Oh, yeah. That, that was... Uh, the next level for my kid took a sure. next step. Maybe not the first one, but like the next level. I have a picture of Joey who's now, uh, who's now 13. And I have a picture of his first fish. He caught it on a green weenie in July, early July. We were out there in the morning. Um, I know exactly where he caught it. And uh, I always, I always think about that moment. Every time I go past that spot or I fish through that spot, Sometimes I guide through that spot, and I swear I tell that story every time. <laughs> and it, yeah. You know, and it was wadeable water where he could uh, uh, wade shallow and fish deep. That's kind of what you need. You know what I mean? And it yeah. doesn't have to be super deep, but you need to be able to wade pretty shallow for a kid that age and yeah. fish deeper. And uh, he was kind of standing on a gravel bar. He could uh, cast over there, and it was a nymphing rig. And, yeah, he ate, he ate a green weenie. He'd been through this before but missed fish. He'd been through you know, plenty of times yeah. where, again, where I handed off the rod to him, he'd caught yeah. fish on a spinning rod. And of course we, we had done the, the, the bobber and bluegill and, you know, bobber and worm and bluegill thing. Yeah. And no, this was it. And, um, yeah, seriously. I mean, just like anybody else, he set the hook in the right direction and reeled things in and got it in the net. And we took some great pictures and he just, just his eyes wide and his eyebrows way up. You know, I have a yeah. picture of that. That was Joey. Aiden's was, uh, a little more dramatic. I picked Aiden up from preschool and that's how young he was. He wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I had had a morning where they were on streamers. They were just hitting streamers. And it was even after the sun came up. Is Aiden the younger? Aiden's my younger. Yeah. And See, he's had, he's had more experience. <laughs> right. He's trying to, he's right. trying to keep up with older brother. That's and he's right. like, I got to get on it. Man. That's right. If I want to be on the river, I better get step it up. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And uh, they had just, they were just very active. And even after the sun came up, they were still eating those streamers. And I had to go pick Aiden up because he was at preschool. And I'm going to say it was like 11 o'clock or something when I picked him up. Yeah. I, said, I said, I know what we're doing. 
And we walked in. And again, you could, I have an article about this on Trout Pen because it's a very special moment. I think I called it Aiden's first solo brown trout or something like that because that's what it was. And this is a very old article now. Um, I don't know. I mean, once again, he was under an indicator. He was actually fishing a mono rig. Um, I don't remember the fly. I really don't remember the fly. But I remember standing behind him thinking, I remember thinking, he's not going to catch a fish on that drift. Because <laughs> <laughs> he let it go too far and things were dragging and bam. I mean, a 16, 17-inch brown trout, that was his first solo catch, was a that size of a wild brown trout. And it, yeah. it granted him a little bit of grace. And I always say that for these trout around here, they don't give you any freebies. Well, they gave him a bit of a freebie right there. But they had been active all morning, which is why I said, I'm going to get Aiden down in here and see what happens. And it <laughs> happened. And it was great. Yeah. And those are my memories, just like yours. Yeah, I love picking them up from school and taking them out there and getting them hooked up. Like, I'll go fish. Fishing's good. Like, um, we're definitely going to go to the river after school, that, that type of thing. There might be nothing better, man, than fishing with your kids. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty hard to beat. And like you said that with your family and that, so we do a Shemchuk rendezvous. So yeah, cool. twice a year we go, my brother, my dad, and we go good. like, we've been on the big hole and the big, you know, destination places that we, mm. cause we're all dislocated. Mm. So we kind of meet up. A lot of times we go to Washington, fish the Yakima cause my brother's cool. out there. Fishing brings you together. Yeah. And that is this year may be the first year Tommy comes. Mm, uh, yeah. And, Holy smokes. That's going to be cool. Grandpa's going to be happy, dude. <laughs> the way the fishing really brings that family together. Again, there's like, there's nothing better. And I'll say this when, okay, so I put in, I feel like I put in a lot of work uh, to get the kids to the point where they can now fish independently. And we said, yeah. when they were seven, you went out there and you're not fishing and that's all right. Cause you're there, you're doing something with and for your kid. But man, if you establish that foundation, that they eventually can do it themselves. And I think most kids are like, hey, I can do this myself. Leave me alone. I'll tie my own knots, you know? That's way, like that was a long time ago where Tommy is like, I mean, it's frustrating for me because I want to help him. And yeah. I know that he what he's doing is not going to work, but he's, <laughs> well, he's, yeah. he's yeah. like, nope, I'm doing this. You know, he's smacking water and right. stuff and like, whatever. Just happy, happy to be here. I love that. A couple of years ago, uh, Joey started really being able to fish independently. And uh, he mostly fishes with a spinning rod right now. He's good at just throwing inline spinners. Um, sometimes he'll throw like jig streamers on a spinning rod, stuff like that. And he's just really honest to God. A lot of times he outfishes me with those spinners. And that's great. I love that. Um, but I don't need to tie his knots or to hold his hand going across the river. I almost missed that in a way. You know, I'm, you know yeah. that's okay though. Because what you get instead is that independence and you just look upstream and you go, there's my son just fishing. Yeah. Just by himself. Yeah. I, one thing that I read one from one of your articles that I, I still do and my daughter is a year and a half old. So mm -hmm. she'll, I like feel like she's going to get the, the benefit of all these lessons from right? Tom, but, yeah. uh, you know, ankle, shins, knees, that yeah. type of thing for the different water types and kind of like giving them limits for how far out they can go. Yeah, such. I do that with my uh, guided clients now. I say that water's about ankle deep. Oh, that water's about knee deep. That water's about belt deep. And I started doing that because like you say, I did that with my kids. I still do. Yeah. And what I realized is people are actually very poor. They're a very poor judge at 
people say, yeah, I, I fished like six foot deep water. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. You're saying it's actually over your head. Well, I, I guess it's not over my head then, but I guess maybe it's four feet. I'm like, okay, that's better. Because <laughs> people are telling me, oh, yeah, I, I catch these trout in eight foot deep water that's on my rivers. I'm like, eight feet? Anyway, uh, yeah. when you say, like, everybody wants to know, how, oh, how deep is that? If you tell them two or three feet, I don't know if they get it. Like, how, how deep is it really? But if I say it's thigh deep, well, there you go. It's a unit of measure. It's a yeah, unit, it's a unit measure. measure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is tactical. It it's is. more tactical than say... Because <laughs> uh, well, I want to I wanna stay tactical. I, we, I, I was saving the, the kids' stuff for the end. We but haven't I'm done glad. anything tactical. I, I know. Which is the opposite of the last one. But. That's right. It's all family-oriented. <laughs> we used to do... Uh, units of measure in the jet so because yeah. from there you can't yeah. see distance if you say go this many meters or this distance doesn't okay. make sense but yeah. if you go go from the north end a half unit to the east like i can easily see that everybody can see it mm. what's a unit whatever you make it so give me an example so call the airfield one unit of measure oh the airfield maybe. yeah there, there you go as a reference or a unit call the yeah call the and you could do big small you could say mm. Call the the giant building from east to west one unit. Nice, I get that. We'll probably edit this out because no, that's good. <laughs> People will be very entertained. Uh, no, they will be <laughs> not entertained. They'll be like, "This guy is washed up, fighter pilot. <laughs> Let it go." <laughs> um, I'll talk about that later. But um, uh, all right, well, keeping keeping it tactical, I do mm-hmm. want to talk about some stuff because I got you here, and I, I want to talk about streamer fishing. Uh-huh. And I've talked about it a bunch on your show and quick alibi. I said this last time, but pretty much everything that we're going to talk about, you've already talked about uh, trout bitten. So I could alibi and say, go to trout bitten. Yeah. He's got, he's got a lot there. It's kind of at that point now, almost everything, when people get in touch with me through, I don't know, email, Instagram messages, whatever the case, um, I, they'll ask a question. And the neat thing is I can almost always, I'll give them a brief answer and I'll say, here's a lot more information. And I kind of know my articles and I give them a link. It's a, it's an easy way to do it. So I apologize if we go over some of those things. No, uh, there's no apologies. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And then, uh, yeah, the, there's deeper information that I'm sure we'll maybe be able to flesh out here, but still may, maybe the opposite. Maybe, you know, we talk more details here. Who knows? Well, I was watching your first, um, YouTube video. I think oh, it was yeah. your first one, which mm-hmm. is mono rig and streamers, right? Uh, yeah, that was uh, the two of the first technical ones. The first one was uh, The River Doesn't Owe You Anything. That's right. Okay. Well, I've never been a big streamer. I just haven't fished them that much. Yep. And I I went streamer fishing today in preparation for nice. this nice. interview. I took my I took the mono rig with me. Mm-hmm. I, I fished streamers. The water was super high. So I almost had no business kind of... I caught one fish mm-hmm. uh, and landing that fish made me realize that if I was glad that I didn't catch a larger fish cause I was probably it, the water was pretty high. Um, in that video you talk about angles, depth and speed. And yeah. uh, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about how you approach streamers. Cause I don't perceive it as cast it out, swing strip, you know, they're, right. you're, do, you're doing all different things with that streamer in different locations. And so I want to get into the weeds on some of that stuff, but sure. can you talk to me first about how you like to 
use your rig to, to adjust those angles, depth and speed. Yeah. Right on. And so, yeah, I do fish it. I, uh, probably 80% of the time, I bet you I fish streamers on a mono rig, but I'm serious. Everything that I'm about to say, doesn't have to be on a mono rig. The cool thing about streamers is you can, well, so many things work and really so many different rigs will work, but all right, just approach this, approach it this way. Angles depth and speed okay angles is what the think about the head position what angle is the head facing is it face downstream upstream uh quartering upstream quartering downstream um i the trout care the trout care what the head position uh looks like because they are very aware of that it's a, it's a big enough food form that they, they know where the head is and often they want to eat the head first so that angle is important to me um depth of it's kind of obvious I mean, do it, are they eating it when it's when I'm getting it down to mid column, or do do I need to get it all the way to the bottom to and really maybe even touch once in a while to get any response from the trout, or can I keep it all the way at the surface and fish are just crashing on it? That's great. That's fun. There's nothing better than that. I've had a day like that once. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few. You know, I've had a few, and they'll do that at night. Um, sometimes they'll well, so they at night they'll chase more than any other time I've ever found. And then, of course, speed is, you know, are you leading it or, well, how fast are you leading? Are you, are you swinging it real fast or are you, well, think about this maybe as well. Um, am I drifting or am I swinging? That was my next question. Yeah, because <laughs> it, that's what I was thinking is like when you're fishing these streamers, it's not, it's not your typical, like in my brain, I learned to fish a streamer a certain way. And yeah. can you talk about like how that may be limiting my approach, I guess. I suppose it's limiting, but absolutely, I think it matters whether it's coming downstream at us or, you know, or it's swinging out. And you say it's limiting or whatever if, if you're just doing one thing. But but I talk so much about versatility. And when yeah. it comes to streamers, I find that so many things day-to-day can work. That's kind of what's exciting to me about streamers. I love that fact. And uh, when we're fishing nymphs, it's almost always a dead drift or something very close to a dead drift. And sometimes you put a little bit of minor animation into that nymph and that'll turn them on. But mostly you're establishing a dead drift with nymphs and with dry flies. And so when I go over to streamers, I'm kind of excited to, to do something different. And yeah, I, I might establish a dead drift then, but boy, I'm going to come off of that dead drift pretty quickly. Anyway, drifting to me is where they're... Well, I don't know, you're casting up in some fashion or another. You could be straight upstream, and then maybe you do want to keep them all in one scene. You know, that's another That's another thing to think about with a streamer. Am I holding it in one seam, or am I allowing it to cross seams? Am I deliberately bringing it across seams? Um, and when I throw it upstream in any way, whether it's straight upstream or 45 degrees across, you know, up and across, um, yeah. if it's coming back to me and I need to recover that slack, then that's drifting, as I say. It's not dead drifting, necessarily. Anyway, the, uh, the opposite of that is, is swinging, and it's swinging out. So the, the, the river is holding tension to, yeah. to that streamer. We get that. And those are the two, really, I don't think you can do anything else, right? I mean, it's one or the other. Well, you got to cast it someplace. It's either you yeah. know, upstream or downstream or in the middle. You're recovering slack, or else the river is holding the tension to it. And man, both of them work. I will say, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, mostly it's taught that like, oh, you cast across and you kind of swing and you let you let the river hold the tension to it. And then and then strip a little bit and then there's different stripping techniques. And, right. And that's really what I've kind of, I don't know, that's the way I've always fished streamers. And because it's taught the most, yeah. Yeah. 
today I didn't. Today I cast yeah. straight up. Yeah. And I had and I was I was kind of bouncing it kind of as it came mm. down trying to um I could see it a little bit. I didn't see the fish take, but it was kind of moving up and down as it came downstream. I like that. When I got the take. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And I like It was that. like a big high stick kind of like out yeah. and then kind of And even though uh let's say swinging is taught more frequently, I really do find that drifting is much more effective for actually producing not just strikes, but hookups. Trout that are actually looking to eat it, not just hit it or look at it or T-bone it and go, eh, what's that thing? Ah, eh, I'm not really going to eat it. Oh, I'm just trying to hit it. Nah. Anyway, for to actually get them to eat it, I like the drifting style. Again, I'm not necessarily talking dead drift. And really, I'm not talking about dead drift. Doing things you were just talking about. I think really what one of the things that's neat is watching what the industry trends are. And okay. for the longest time, it was casted to the bank with a big, I mean, a big articulated streamer, get them to chase, get them to be aggressive and predatory. That's a fun way to fish, but your hookup ratio is way lower. Um, and anyway, these days, I'm definitely seeing, well, people are taking tight line rigs and throwing jig streamers. Jig streamers is a real big deal. You know, um, George Daniel. Um, has written about that a lot, kind of brought it to the forefront. And you uh, that's great because people are realizing that you can take these tight line rigs and throw, I don't know, two, maybe three-inch streamers, probably not much bigger than that, sometimes only a one, one-and-a-half-inch streamer, and get these presentations that I, I've for a long time called a crossover technique. I think we talked about that before. But you establish a dead drift perhaps, and then you do little things, little animations Maybe my maybe major animations um, uh, to attract the trout, and you're in charge of all that, um, especially on a tight line. But it, you can do the very similar things with the because you're not trying to get perfect dead. It's okay if there's some tension on it. You know, it's a living creature, and it's gonna right. swim. And if your tension or your drag really ends up looking like the, the 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 streamer is fishing, good. You know, that can be very good. Anyway, you can. I'm seeing in the industry, and we're all seeing that, that now people are kind of remembering like, oh, yeah, the streamer doesn't have to be five inches long. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have to rip it across the stream to get the trout's attention. And maybe if I take it to the trout or allow the trout to kind of eat it, I'll do a lot better. Right. Well, when I was a kid, the woolly bugger, that that fly, the woolly bugger. Yeah. I've, I never really fished it like a streamer, but I think I fished it, I, you know, I never fished it like I was, you know, swinging and stripping or anything yeah. like that, but I would catch fish. And I think part of it was that it was more forgiving. Cause like you said, it's okay mm. to cross seams. It doesn't have to be yeah. as, cause I wasn't as good at presentation. And so it wasn't, didn't seem as a, as important with that kind of fly as far as a dead drift presentation, I guess. That's a great point. Yeah, I totally agree. And any streamer can be more forgiving, but boy, the bugger, it's hard to beat the bugger. It's pretty good. That's what I was fished today. I lost a, a bunny, a leech, and then yeah, uh, on the bottom. My river rat is just a bugger variation and so many patterns out there. Just, I mean, a circus peanut is a bugger variation. Russ Madden will tell you that. You know, it is. It's a great bugger variation, but that's the base of it. That's the platform. It's an articulated bugger with a couple of rubber legs and flashy material in it. Are there times that you think the the streamer makes a big difference or that it makes a difference um, 
when you, you know, for fly selection with streamers, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the main things I'm thinking about are how flashy is it? Uh, I should say first, how, how big is it? There are days that where they really will target or times of the day where they'll really target you have big streamer. And maybe, like you said, you have some dirty water. I like big streamers in dirty water. Not always, but yeah. Um, and then at night, I would say my average size of streamer, if I'm fishing streamers, is about four inches. Yeah. Sometimes four and a half. Five is really pushing it for me. But anyway, those are big. you know. And in the daytime, well, today it was sunny. We caught uh, two trout, two trout on a streamer. And we didn't even fish them for that long. And it was sunny. The yeah. sun was overhead. I mean, almost directly overhead. Yeah, yeah, we targeted a shady bank on the right side. But I I said to the guy, and I remember saying, like, let's try this. Because you kind of wanted to cycle through all the tactics that, that, that we can do with this rig. Let's try yeah. it. I'll show you what we're talking about. I cast a few times. I didn't catch anything. And then he fished it for about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, he had he had a trout not just follow it, but hit it pretty hard but i don't think it was trying to eat it and he said oh i missed it i said nah i think the fish missed it like almost on purpose but that's cool that you got some action let's stick with it for like another 10 minutes really i said let's fish it up like one more piece of water up there and he cast it over there i don't know caught a nice 12 14 inch trout pounder <laughs> a pound there you go right the pounder <laughs> we have we have names for it yeah the pounder the uh the whiskey the namer <laughs> the, the pounder is the one each average standard fish that right. you don't bother you don't bother measuring <laughs> or telling anybody about how big it is but it's, it's but it's also does it it's also a kind of a, yeah. a a scapegoat for you don't have to tell them that it was really tiny no it's not a tiddler yeah, <laughs> I didn't know we had a name for those. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's Matt Grove's term. I got it. I guess it's a UK term for a small fish. I thought he was making it up. It sounds a little bit sexual to me when you say tiddler. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the word. But yeah. and I I didn't know if he made it up. But no, I looked it up. Um, and it's yeah, it's like a British term for uh, small fish. Tiddler. Yeah. <laughs> tiddler is like seven inch trout. You know, seven inch trout. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. the pounders, probably 12, 13 inches. Yeah. Pounder. Yeah. It's a pounder. Well, that's why I caught caught a pounder today. It's just standard. Standard issue. Standard one each pounder. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about conditions then. When yeah. all right, when you're fishing, when do you say let's it's time for a streamer? Is it because something else isn't going? You yeah. know, they it's slowing down on one thing, or do you ever just say it's a streamer day? Mm, or yeah. you know, what's the difference for you? Uh, I don't like sun. Like I said, that was unusual today. I guess that's why I brought it up because I was surprised that he had, well, a nice hit. And then he also had that fish that ate it right off the bank too. Uh, but that's in the sun. And I don't, yeah, I wouldn't choose those days to dedicate to streamer fishing. I do like low light. I like some off-color water. I don't. I never like muddy water. Everybody says fish streamers in muddy water. I kind of say go home in muddy water. <laughs> I'll still fish it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we're talking muddy, there's not a whole lot that you can do to yeah. really turn those trout on and you are covering water really picking your spots and hoping for the best but anyway when it's muddy you're saying yeah when it's muddy yeah if it's dirty i like that but i mean if your visibility is like six eight ten inches and not even a foot you're hoping more than fishing well out here too if the water is that dirty it's probably like today it was raging pretty Just good move, yeah yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a take it take a day off. Right on. So, you know, those conditions though, um streamers are a great great option. Um I I'm not the kind of angler who ever 
really leaves the truck and says, I'm going to fish streamers all day. Now I did, I, I did it for almost a year at a time or for a whole year. Um, like I've done with a lot of tactics. I just figured I'm going to fish it no matter what. And that's where I kind of came to these, yeah, uh, realizations perhaps, or theories, I suppose that I don't like it in the sun. Brown trout don't really want to eat streamers in the sun. But what I do, um, is I just mix streamers in every once in a while, sometimes because I can't get a great dead drift over on that bank. That's a great point. Or next to whatever structure. Yeah. Because I'm in a piece of water that looks fishy, but it's not, it's tough. This is going to be tough. Yeah. And you might try it with a nymph and you go, yeah, I did my best in there, but I cannot get the angle to get a, a, a good dead drift on this nymph. I tried it. I can't get it. And then, so for me, I don't know, it's easy to take a nymph off and throw a streamer on whatever the the transitions for me are not a big deal i enjoy those transitions that versatility is a big deal to me that's like a trout bitten theme i suppose and yeah so i I change over whatever uh put a whatever it is maybe that river rat maybe a white one a black one who cares and throw it in there and i because they will eat on so many things besides besides a dead drift arguably better than a dead drift yeah i can get more than get away with a cross stream presentation it is probably the best presentation you know put it on there and get a little um let it drop maybe jig it and then swing it on the back half of that and mm-hmm. trout comes out and crushes it that's fun and then you yeah. go huh i figured something out you know you feel good about <laughs> it <laughs> i don't know if you figured anything out but you, you think like i adapted that's what it is that's the reward sure yeah progress i made for that work. one day and mm-hmm. that um, especially when you go to streamers, like for me personally, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm not on streamers a lot. So probably because of the versatility thing that you talked about, I'm yeah. not as comfortable changing them probably as I need to be. But when I do, and I do catch fish, that is, that's the exact reason that it's so, so rewarding for yeah. me because. But really what's it take to switch over to a streamer? Not much. One thing that I think about is kind of the line, the size of the line, you know? Tippet. Like, uh, yeah, tippet size. Fair enough. I'm really moving away from anything less than 5X, and I fish a lot more 4X now, Same. especially, too. I fish yeah. with my son. Yeah. And I don't... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. We got to be able to pull that thing Right, around, he's not know? landing a big yeah. fish on 6X. He's, we're just learning to, you know, get him on the reel and reel the right direction and stuff. Right so I, I've got bigger tippet kind of that I use now, or I don't know. That's not really big, I guess. No, it used to be thought of as thin and now, oh my God, you're nymphing with four X. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it works. You got to do the right things. I think maybe it cap, it, it matters where you kind of grow up fishing. Maybe, you know, yeah. there, there's kind of like a culture of, you know, I mean, when I was in Colorado, six X was like, that's just what it was. That was five X, six X. That And you're right. I, I didn't really, I didn't, uh, you know, a couple trips to Montana since then. And, you know, I realized that this is just a, this isn't the way, this is just the way that I did it there right. on the, on that river at that time. You know, I like going to places where people tell you, you have to fish this way or you won't catch fish. And then you do the opposite and you still catch fish and you go, huh, no kidding. So I didn't have to only fish dries. Oh, really? So I didn't have to just fish midges. I was actually able to just fish a nice big stone fly and i still caught nice fish in here yeah well that goes to kind of this idea that the fly selection and presentation and which fly you use and going into fly shop which fly do i need which fly do i need and um 
let's talk a little bit then about making changes, changes yeah. on the water yeah. and um, what kind of changes and how we make those changes and why we don't make those changes sometimes maybe is the most important question. I yeah. listened to yeah. your episode, podcast episode, where you're talking to about hook sets and how to land. It's a recent one, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hook sets and missed fish. And I listened to it. I had a day on the river the other day. I mm. mean, nice, big browns, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I was, I just, I wasn't landing them, you know. Yeah. I was just not landing these fish. Now, they were getting in a lot of junk, you know, like vegetation and logs oh, and things like hurt that. Yeah. So I wasn't moving enough in hindsight. Yeah. But one thing that I took from that show was that everybody misses fish, you know, oh, like yeah. Yeah. it's a, it's a percentage, you know, you go out and, and so if you take that attitude of, Hey, we're all going to make mistakes or we're all going to miss hook sets or lose fish and that yep. type of thing. I think that people you guys said this on the show too. People don't realize that even the best fishermen, right? You oh, guys yeah. were talking like 20% or 10% missed fish or even the, the best guy on his best day is going right. to go out and, and miss some fish. A good percentage of them. Yeah. So I want to take that kind of context into changing, making change on the water, because I think there's a similar kind of idea in a lot of people's heads, myself mm. probably included is like, it must be something I'm doing wrong or I, I'm, I'm afraid to make this change because this is what I know. Or they don't realize that other people, even the best anglers are have to make these changes. You can't just yeah. go out like you said and be like, this is what they said to do. Sometimes you have to do the opposite. Sometimes you have to, you have to do those things because it's not always, yeah. you know, the hot fly is the, is the orange scud. Well, that was yesterday. And today right. maybe right. it's not, you know, it could change in five minutes. It could be something different. Yeah. There are, for example, like seven, I counted up the other day. There's seven different ways that I nymph and I might have my preference as that first way. And a lot of times they won't eat it. And so I got six more ways. And so to be versatile is a big deal to me. I want to be able to make those changes. And lots of times I might say, well, let's pick uh, uh, the second or third way. Throw an indie on. Go tight line to the indie. Or let's go dry dropper. You know, let's throw a drop shot. Whatever. I might. Let's say I pick drop shot. And I think that that might be it. To actually use a drop shot rig. It doesn't have to be super, super heavy or anything. But to actually get to the bottom and tick, to tick, 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 tick on the way down. And slow the rig down. And every time that shot ticks, the nymph up above, or maybe two nymphs up above, just do a little twitch, twitch 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 you know it's a big deal that can be a great trigger and maybe that's my guess and i say oh let's let's see if that works instead of nice strike zone glides through which is my i guess my preference first way i usually start if they won't eat it i mean if they if i switch the drop shot and they still don't eat it i guess that's what you have to do is have confidence in yourself you need to see what you're looking for and then go okay well the fish didn't eat that i have five more ways to th throw nymphs or i can throw those streamers and so I'm happy to, I mean, it. I'm happy to make those changes. I go, huh, that was a good theory. I always say, have a reason that you're changing. Don't just change like, well, um, I don't know. I'll throw an indie on. Well, why are you throwing an indie on? Maybe it's windy. Maybe your tight line rig um, is getting blown around like a sail. So put the indie on to anchor you to the surface, so to speak. Maybe you can't wade into perfect position to drift right in behind your rod tip. Again, we're still nymphing. And so yeah. you can't tight line it. You really can't. And you can, crack, uh, and you can go across seams, 
but it's not working and you're not catching fish. Well, if I throw the indie on, then the indie can lead the flies down one seam instead of my rod tip. That's your reason. That's your theory. You're going to test it. And if it doesn't work, I don't know, give it 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I don't know, give it a half hour. Give it two levels, whatever your <laughs> benchmark is, right? Well, no, that's, I mean, we're joke, but I think mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things yeah. is have a bench, have a, a stopping point. Because for me, that is the hardest part is to be like, well, is it, is it, is it this technique or is it me? Is it my presentation? Yeah. Is it the like, like have like a theory, like you said, and then be like, I'm going to try this and have an end until I'm going to try something else. Well, that benchmark or that stopping point, I mean, this may, may not be everybody's way to fish, but I used to wear a watch and I would test flies for 20 minutes at a time. And I was pretty disciplined about it. Or I'd test them for 10 minutes a time at a time. Or on days when I wasn't wearing the watch, I'd say, I'm giving this fly or this presentation or these streamers or this style one level or two levels. What I call a level is, I don't know, a lip. Think of the tail out. There's the end of your level. And I'd say two levels and that's it. Maybe it takes me an hour to fish those two levels. So maybe it isn't about 20 minutes. Maybe it's about your level markers. Or maybe it's, I don't know, you're just going to fish that right bank with this presentation. And yeah, if it doesn't work, you need to come off of it. But really, probably your best benchmark is, did I fish it effectively? And if I did, if I got the presentations that I was trying to get, go back to streamers. If I was saying, you know what? I think if I get a head angle that's 45 degrees downstream, I put it on the bank and I do a slow slide across the bank, and then I let it swing out, and then I do a head flip. <laughs> and sometimes I, I will say all those things. I, I, I think that's what I want to do. I think that's going to work. I'll test it for 10 minutes. If it doesn't work, I go, hmm, I, I can see my fly. I can see my line. I can see success, so to speak. And then when I see that and it doesn't work, I have the confidence, because I fished a lot, to, to come off of it. Now, I understand that not everybody has that kind of experience, and yet, you're gonna, you can learn pretty quick. Start with dry flies, for example. There is nothing easier than seeing your dry fly dead drifting. It's, I mean, everybody I've ever met can, can see drag at the same time as I can. Sometimes they underestimate what drag really is. I'm like, no, no, no. If it's moving unnaturally at all, that's drag. It's not natural. And the fish usually, around here, the fish usually won't eat it. Anyway, start with dries and learn to say, Okay, in that great piece of water right there, I got great drifts. Fair enough. I know there's fish in there. They didn't eat it. I'm going to change something. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I think that that's the two big things I take away from that is have a plan and have have a, you know, that has been huge for me is to have like a reason and know your whys. And I think that we talk about yeah, being tactical. Good. I don't know that there is another way to be more tactical is to not is to know your whys. Yeah. If you know why you're doing something, you're being tactical. That's a great way to put it. I love that. Why am I doing it? And how, what does success look like? That's what, right. Yep. How am I going to change next? Yep. And then if you say, all right, this is my theory, but you have to have a benchmark. And I think... Yeah. So that's the second thing. And and I, as far as confidence, I think that that, you know, comes with time for sure. But realize, I guess, that everybody has to make these changes. You know, everybody, you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody has to kind of have an idea, give it a shot. It's not often that somebody's going to go out 
right? They got their rig up in the parking lot. They walk out, they cast, and they, they don't make, and they're just catching fish right away, you know? Yeah. And it's just guessing. All of us are just guessing out there. And well, the more hours that you have your boots in the water, the more days you have your boots in the water, um, yeah, the better your guesses, might, the more educated your guesses might be. You can always rely on that experience. But what keeps us coming back is that mm, they're so unpredictable. And it is, it is. It's that mystery. It's that those exceptional days. Uh, well, it's those exciting days when they'll just eat in unusual, uh, unexpected uh, 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 patterns. Uh, right. But it's also, yeah, the difficult days are really, I think, what keep keeps you know dedicated anglers coming back. That's when you learn the most. I wrote an article called What Makes a Great Day's Fishing. Yeah. And I the story in the article is my friend and I up in the Beartooth, and this is a long time ago, and we're dry fly fishing, but we barely know what we're doing. We have a fly rod. We are casting it, and these cutthroat are just crushing it. Yeah. And that's a great memory and a great day, but it's not, I didn't solve any problems. I didn't figure anything out. I mean, I didn't really progress. I had a great fun time and I, awesome. But to me, the progress, like you're saying, is, uh, it's important and you're going to get better if if that's your goal. Yeah. You can learn by getting those great drifts, seeing success and then saying, "I I didn't catch anything. Well, okay. Then you learn something. You learned that they wouldn't take, I don't know, a dead drifted drive fly up parachute atoms in, in there. Maybe you change the pattern. Maybe you change the water type. Well, that's something I was going to ask you. What now are you, when you think I need to make a change, mm-hmm. what is it? Because it's not just fly. So what are some of the things that you would change and do you prioritize those in any way? Mm. Um, water type, yes. depth, flies the obvious one. It is. Right? Uh, but how do you go down that kind of um, hierarchy? Yeah, you said fly is the obvious one. And obviously it is. Because that's the easiest thing to change. It's the easiest answer. And it's uh, something you can just open up your box and you got a whole bunch more patterns. You go, I'm going to try this one. Right. That's easy, you know. And you don't even have to move your feet either. And you don't have to tie, <laughs> you know, you don't have to change your rig or your, you don't have to change your style of fishing. Okay. That one's easy. And I think that's why everybody focuses on it. Um, oh, that's a good point. It might be the least important. We've acknowledged that, you know, presentation over pattern usually. Uh, so I'm thinking water type. Really, I'm thinking back to where did I get action? If I'm thinking I need to change something. Okay. Let's say I got that great dead drift on a nymph in one seam and I'm happy with it. I say, Hmm, that was prime water. I know there's fish in there. I've caught them before. Whatever. I know there's fish in there. I got great. I got a great drift. Dead drift did exactly what I wanted to do. Hmm. What should I do differently? I'm thinking back to, Hmm, 20 minutes ago, I caught like two or three fish in that one spot. Well, what was that one spot? Like, like you mentioned water type. Great. Let's say it was a shallow riffle. And maybe I was just fishing, fishing through that shallow riffle, um, almost thinking of it as secondary water, saying, well, on my way to that prime deep stuff over, I'm going to hit this, this secondary stuff. And then I accidentally almost, or surprisingly caught uh, three fish, like bam, 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 within five minutes. I go, wow, hmm, okay. And then I start fishing upstream, and maybe I'm fishing to the right because it's, it's deep and green in there, and we're all attracted to that you know, deep stuff. And then I don't catch anything. And let's say, again, I, I got my dead drift, and I go, hmm. Well, wait a second. Back there, it was shallow riffles. So now instead of fishing that deep green stuff that is up on that right side, no, I'm going to look left again and get 
to more shallow riffles. So water type is a big deal. And that's a good example of it. Um, obviously, then, uh, let's go to nymphs. Let's talk about nymphs for just a second again and yeah. say that my favorite type of nymph rides, the way I like to do it best, is to get strike zone rides where I'm actually not trying to touch the bottom but just hit that uh, cushion of water that's going slower than the top current and even slower than the, the mid current. And yet I'm not really touching bottom very much. I'm going to tick it once in a while. But those are my favorite kind of rides. But if sometimes they don't eat that the best. And again, uh, I will often then use drop shot or just more weight. It could be a heavier weighted nymph. I, I, I often like to use a, a heavy waltz worm or a che- uh, Polish woven nymph, let's say, uh, to get down there lower, or it could be a stone fly, it doesn't matter. Get lower and actually say, all right, I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch the riverbed and get lower than I had been, even lower than the strike zone. That's another way to nymph. And I say, all right, maybe that's it. Maybe not, maybe it's not a water type thing, but a, a speed thing. Think about this. Like you can get drifts. You can get dead drifts on a nymph. If it's in one seam, you can get dead drifts at about three different three different current speeds. Let's say you put it in the middle, and they'll eat it in the middle. If they're eating emerging insects, quite often, they'll start eating your tag nymph if you have two. They'll start, start eating your upper nymph. And let's say if they're eating in that mid-column, well, that's prob- that is the fastest speed, I'll say, that, you know, that they're, that they're going to eat. But it's, still, it's, it's a good dead drift. It's, you can get nymphs in that seam that look like what trout are eating, uh, the speed of what trout are eating. And then you get down into that strike zone, which I just said is, uh, you know, it's slower than that mid-current, that's for sure. And there's certain ways we can read that. I won't get into it here. We talked about it on the last uh, episode 33. Good. And I've written about it a lot. So I'll get the nymph down in there. And that's, that's a strike zone speed. It's certainly slower. And then even slower than that is what I just said to actually bottom bounce, touch, to touch, touch as you're coming down. And so all of those are realistic dead drifts. And I'll try all three of them. And then I might say, hmm, maybe I should throw an indie on, you know, or maybe I should throw streamers or maybe I should dry dropper or maybe get out of that shallow uh, riffle. Maybe they aren't eating in there anymore. Maybe I really got to just change things. Maybe it's a sun angle. I mean, it's endless. You don't have enough time to test everything, you know? Right. Yeah. And we sure don't have enough time to talk about all the different right. changes yeah. you can make. I, I just... I think that the important thing is that you're thinking about it and you're um, problem solving, you know, you're in, right. in, in ways where, and I think a lot of times too, I mean, I, you know, you mentioned presentation versus fly selection, which, yeah, you know, I, I've just, I've had those days where you change the fly and it's like, well, that was obviously it because now yes. I'm catching a lot more fish. Yeah. So I don't like to scoff the change in the picking right. the right flies. Not at all. Right. Definitely important. But, you know, I also know, like, you can go to a river and, like, these are just the flies that work here. You know, I mean, I, I've been on in rivers out west, and that's very broad, I guess, but we were catching fish on these yesterday and last year and this yeah. year. I mean, there's just a couple of flies. Maybe they're not the keyed-in fly, but this is an okay fly if yes. there's fish around. You know, it's it's a decent fly for this stream and this time of year, you know, and a guide can give you a pretty good guess. And really it's not until I start moving, changing depth, changing presentation, changing water with the same fly that I realize that it's not as much the fly as it is the presentation. And I have to 
do these other things before I'm changing flies or, you know, size of fly, color of fly, flash, things like that, that I really have to, personally now I have to have given that a little bit, you know, unless I'm totally out there. I always say, if you pick a reasonable fly and then, you know, you refine the presentation, one of the best things you could do is pick a handful. Find a hand, I don't know, how big is a handful? Is it 5, 6, 10, 12, 15? I don't know. I probably wouldn't go up to 20. But pick a handful of nymphs or dry flies or streamers, whatever you want to do. And then you just have to make them work. And do not pick 100. (laughs) Don't pick 20 even yet. And you, you know, you're gonna find a reasonable ones again. Find find your 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 buddy says these are the best flies. Great. What's his buddy say? What's your next buddy say? What's the fly shop say? What does the guide say? Combine them all. You're gonna find some commonalities too, and make sure you put those in that handful. And it, it, again, like we, you and I, like we have our favorite patterns, and I feel like I could go anywhere in the world and make those patterns work. Right. But you don't. I understand people don't have those at first. Yeah, but still, that doesn't mean you're going to put 50 different dry flies in your box at first. Right. I w- Boy, don't do that. Don't make your life too hard because then you're going to be constantly thinking, oh, man, my, maybe I should put that 49th pattern on. Maybe I should put the 37th pattern on. <laughs> too complicated. <laughs> I find that if we're going to talk about fly selection, I, th- yeah. I find that normally if I if the most I've had, like I've got a good idea on the fly. Yeah. If I change the size, the size matters a lot yes. to me. Just changing the size of the flies. When I when I talk about those days where I like, man, they really started keying in on it. When I changed flies, it's not necessarily I went from like a hare's ear to a zebra midge or something. It's that I changed the size of that zebra midge, you know, from an 18 to a 20 or, or whatever, which seems weird or not that much, but. Yep. No, I'm with that for sure. And I used to joke around and say, well, let's see what size of. Uh, pheasant tail they want today and yes exactly it can, yeah. it, or it could be a waltz worm i don't know pick your fly what size of hair's ear do they want today yeah that's very much it uh you know and you know it doesn't you're, i don't even carry uh pheasant tails for example in tens i hardly ever use the 12s but i have them from 12 to 20 and i usually use 14 16s and 18s um people make way too much i think out of the uh, the complication oh it's so complicated fly selection doesn't need to be that's up to you. You know, it really is. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about with uh, making changes and, um, you know, having the confidence to do that or things you think about when you make changes before you move on? Yeah. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Think about it ahead of time. Have a plan for it. It's the same way as you want to have a plan for laying out your pack or your vest. Have a plan. People ask me all the time about, People wanted me to show exactly what I have in my vest and how I have it laid out. And maybe I'll do that someday. I never have through the years because I'm thinking like, that's that's my system. And I'm happy to share. I really would. I'd be happy to share it with people. With people. I almost don't want to bias people thinking, well, I better do it his way. No, find your way. Yeah. So you're going to find your way for being versatile and how you're going to change leaders and how you're going to change, well, tippet sections perhaps. In my way, you could find. I have a couple articles and a couple, a video now on even uh, being efficient with leader changes and things like that. My way is to roll sections of leader, uh, whether that just be the tippet section, 
or hole leaders up on spools and spools of different sizes. I have plastic spools that are like three and a half inches uh, yeah. in diameter, and those are old Maxima chameleon spools. And then I use the loon rigging foams. And honestly, I've been using um, rigging foams that are like half the size as the loon ones. I got them sent to me by mistake. I order them, you know, in, in bulk on eBay or something. And I like these little ones. Um, and I'll just have pre-rigged sections, um, tippet sections. And maybe we talk about changing over to streamers. I'm yeah. telling you, I can change to streamers in 30 seconds. At the most, a minute. I could be nymph and two flies. Uh, two nymphs, yeah. And, and, and I said, hmm, I can't get a good dead drift over there. I've tried. Let me throw that streamer on. Well, I could clip uh clip my point nymph off and throw a streamer on there and yeah sometimes i do but more often i say you know what it hardly takes me any more it may, maybe it takes me 10 more seconds to roll to clip it still it's one it's just going to be one knot i'll clip it at the tippet ring at the bottom of my cider i roll that section up that 5x section put it away doesn't take long and then i unroll really i often fish two streamers and now they're ready to go and i tie one knot to that tippet ring and I'm right there with a better uh, tippet ring, uh, a better tippet size. I mean, yeah. a two X, a three X. Right. Yeah. And then if I get a good, big, hard hit from the best fish that I'm going to see all year, and he eats and goes the other way back down into those logs, I'm not dealing with five X. Now you're ready. Now I'm ready. I think people don't make the changes because they don't make it easy for themselves they don't have a plan you've heard me say this if you don't if it isn't easy you won't do it and that's and that's not a lazy thing that's just a human nature thing if it isn't easy you won't do it and i mean everybody everybody i've never found a fisherman who who loves spending you know five <laughs> minutes even to change a leader no you go nah i'll just nah, nah i'll make this work it ain't uh, working so change it you know yeah make it easy Got to be 30 seconds, maybe a minute to change something or else you won't do it. All right, Dominic. Last time that we talked, we got into tactics, which was awesome. Like yeah. I said, we didn't get to kind of some of the questions that I normally ask us. And yeah. that's cool because it was a tactical episode and that's what we were talking about. And, mm -hmm. um, and I'm proud of that episode. It was a good one. I, re I just listened to it. I always like that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. All tactics. But I thought in this one, we'd have an opportunity to go through some of those questions because if there was a wait out there mm -hmm. listener mm -hmm. that was expecting that and they didn't get it in the first time, yeah. maybe they, they can listen this time and they oh, can get it. changed. Yeah. So I thought I'd just kind of ask you some kind of shotgun questions and yeah. um, you can go with your answers. You ready? How shotgun is it? Like 10 well, seconds, Well, my questions are shotgun. <laughs> your answers are not shotgun. Your okay. answers... Okay, I'm ready. You know, so what's something in the beginning, not when you were a kid and just learning, but you know, as you were getting more serious about fly fishing, what's something that you really struggled with in the beginning and how'd you overcome that as far as um, mm. on the more tactical side? This one's easy. I couldn't stay out of the trees. I could not stay out of the trees. I switched over to fly fishing and I started dabbling in fly fishing really because uh, the minnows on the spinning rod were not working. It, it would happen almost every June, I don't know, 15th, somewhere around the middle of June. They wouldn't eat them. But I would see rising trout, you know, leading up to that point, whatever. Trout were not eating those minnows. And that minnow bite that I was always looking for wouldn't happen. So I started fishing dry flies. And I could not. I had nobody to teach me. I, I didn't. And this is 
long before YouTube, of course. <laughs> I had a, I had a couple magazine articles. There was no trout bitten to read. No, that's right. There was no weight out there to <laughs> there give me nothing. great information. Yeah, none of it. You know what I'm saying, and we all know it. Uh, yeah, I had seriously had a couple magazine articles. Uh, I couldn't stay out of the trees, and I did. Honestly, it didn't take too long to be able to form fly line good loops. I thought they were good loops. I think they actually were. I, w- I should say, too, I was fishing streams that were like 30 feet wide, if that, quite often a lot smaller than that. A lot of small streams, a lot of overhanging, overhanging uh, cover, you know, branches, and a lot of cover. It's like shooting through a tunnel. And, uh, boy, I couldn't stay out of the trees. I don't know how I overcame it other than to just keep doing it. I'm telling you, some days I was almost crying. <laughs> I was like <laughs> uh, 16, 17 years old when I first tried it. When I really started getting into it, then I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, <laughs> I couldn't stay out of the trees. Well, you have some snaggy water out there. One thing we talked in that the beginning yeah. that has uh, changed since the first time we talked is I've, I have fished the monorig and I have fished it in Pennsylvania. Right. You came and, on here. Loved it. <laughs> and it is snaggy. <laughs> it's different out here, right? And it's very different. It's in, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's similar to some streams I fish, but it's just seemed like kind of everywhere I went, at least on that, on that water. You mean uh, snaggy was, above the water? Like, yeah, yeah both, right. both, both but, right. but, um, particularly above to yeah. the, to the extent where I really kind of understand where you talk about, you know, planning out your hook sets and planning out mm. where, where your casting is going to be because you don't have so many options. Right. And, uh, it was good because there's it's unforgiving. Yes. It's, it's like there's no... Very true. It's just you either, oh, that's now I'm going to waste... Now it goes five more minutes. There I go. I'm in the tree again. So you talk about being 17 years old and yeah. almost in tears. I was a 42-year-old grown man, <laughs> two kids and a wife and a dog back home in Utah. And I was like, I'm out in Pennsylvania. I need to get it together, man. I'm like, damn these rhododendron. They're not They're mountain laurel. Damn these mountain laurel. And when you're when you're fishing with someone else's rod too, then you're a little you're more <laughs> I don't right. Even more cautious. Off, right. <laughs> the way I break a rod most often is to to whack it off of a tree limb up above me. Absolutely. Yeah, but I have people come from all over the country and yeah. many people are not I have great anglers often come in and wanting to learn the next thing, and many of them are not ready to cast uh under cover. It's a combination of the cover and the new casting kind of... The monorig is different. It's different mm-hmm. cast for me. I, mm-hmm. I felt different. Um, it's, a co- it's a combination kind of like getting used to it. Sure. I felt it was for me. I should say when I was starting out, of course, I'm talking about I was just fishing dry flies on a eight-foot leader, you know, and I couldn't do it. That was the biggest challenge. I eventually figured it out. Yeah. Overcome by fishing more. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. All right. What's something you learned recently that you're out there or maybe relearned that you're out on the water? And I relearned things a lot on the water. So Trout right now, things are warming up and they are sitting at the heads of runs. And, oh, I guide almost every day here. Right now, I actually have three more trips and then I'm done until uh, late September. And every year, I'm reminded of this. Oh, yeah, trout are starting to really move to the heads of the runs, the heads of the pockets. They'll put their noses right in the white water. And if you don't have an approach, let's say we're nymphing, 
because the water temperature is rising and they want the colder, yeah. more oxygenated water? Is that That's one reason that they'll move to the heads. But the water we are fishing today never got over 62 degrees. They weren't struggling by any means. They were fine. But they do it. It's a habit. Um, I also believe they do it because the water gets lower. Uh, let's say, you know, your average water temperature in July, on July 1st, your average water depth, I meant to say, it, on July 1st is uh, quite a bit lower than it is on May 1st, right? And yep. so you get those summer low waters. And at the same time, you have higher and higher sun. Aren't we almost to the equinox, right? Or the solstice? Which one is it? <laughs> Which one? Unknown, sir. Come on now. Uh, unknown. Solstice, I think. I think I'm going to say summer solstice. Yes, that's right. So you're going to have the longest days summer here coming solstice. up. We're yeah, very I close to it. Right. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> we're so scientific. It's tactical. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway, you have a high sun for a longer period of time, and at the same time, you have lower waters. I believe that's also why they'll put their noses right in that white water. They want the extra O2, yeah. And uh, th- also, that's where the that's where the food is. That's where if they're eating nymphs, that's well, nymphs live in that same kind of water. That's riffles and runs. And so instead of sitting at the back end of those runs or sitting in the middle of those runs, they got their noses right at the heads of the pockets. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, if you don't have a presentation that can poke it down in there, boom, right away and Quick. hit right yeah. and get down quickly. Let's say they are sitting in that strike zone. If you don't have a tuck cast, that's what it is. If you don't have a tuck cast that can put it right downstream of that rock that's, let's say, creating the seam, and and get it down in, oh, less than a second, and then drift that first one, two, maybe three feet behind downstream of the rock, you're not going to catch fish. I think that's, honestly, I think that's why a lot of people uh, put the fly rod away or think that summer fishing can be so challenging. They don't necessarily recognize where those trout are and that is where they are a lot of times do you have a most memorable fish or a fish that you learned the most from a story those are two different things though your choice i would say my most memorable my most satisfying most satisfying is uh if i can go that route that's uh, perfect is a fish that i called edgar because we we name the uh well we we name the two footers that are wild and it took me forever um, over a decade longer than that yeah to catch a namer at night and night fishing is a big deal to me it's a big part of my life and for many years it was my like primary motivation i would rearrange the rest of my life <laughs> so i could get more night hours on the stream and i i just could not find that one that was actual 24 i could lie to myself if i wanted and say that that 23 was actually 24 but i knew it wasn't we know that it's important on trout button to have accurate yeah i mean what's the point of lying so so yeah, yeah i couldn't catch it i couldn't find them I, I caught some whiskeys which are 20 inches and better and i was starting to really learn some things about where to to find bigger trout at night and how to catch them i couldn't break that 24 inch mark when I finally did, it was on a night where I'd been kind of spooked. I'm not too scared out there anymore by this point. And, but I had been spooked. I think there was a river otter on the other side. I'm not kidding. I think it was a river otter. <laughs> <laughs> People tell me it was probably a beaver. It wasn't a beaver. It was different. It, it, something was different. It was very strange. It wasn't lit up enough by any means for me to really tell. Uh, but odd things were happening that night. And I was just spooked by a couple other things. 
and I just so whatever. I I finally caught this fish, and I got I, I took a picture of it, put him back, and actually I was sitting on that rock, um, sit just sitting on a rock where I'd put the camera. And lots of times when you release a fish at night, they don't bolt. I mean, I, we fight them so fast; they got plenty of energy, but they don't just like run off to the next spot or just swim off to the to the to the to the log jam or something. A lot of times you put them back in, and they just sit there. And usually I'll have my red lamp on, at the headlamp on at that point. And I remember just sitting on that rock thinking, finally. There was just this relief, uh, just a satisfaction, yeah. And I remember sitting there for about 15 minutes just staring at that fish, just just looking at it. I mean, I was just looking at it. And I thought, I finally did it. And anyway, I called it Edgar for Edgar Allan Poe because I was scared that night. <laughs> but. But Edgar was uh, definitely my most recent and most memorable uh, fish that way. Do you remember how you caught it? Was it? Uh, oh yeah. yeah. What were you doing at night? I was doing a slow slide on the bank, and I was it, 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 really, really close to the bank. I was so that night. I was in on the that, bank you were fishing from. So I mean, you're casting just, up. Yeah, that's a bad description. I was in the center of the river, and I okay. meant to say that I was casting to the bank. Yeah, gotcha. And okay. often that's what we do a lot of times, and often it takes not getting a foot away from the bank, but getting inches away from the bank. And do you know how many times you're going to hang up on the bank in sweet spots? Yeah. You know? I had a guest call it credit card close. I love that. Yeah, right. There yeah, you go. get close. Love no, that. no, that's, I need credit card close. Right? And in the daylight, <laughs> that's one thing. Yeah. You know, but in, at night, it's even harder. And, uh, you know, and if you do hang up and it won't pull out, then you're deciding, well, am I going to blow up that spot or am I going to lose a fly that takes me a half hour to tie? You know? Right. And whatever. I had one of those nights where I was, I was hitting it pretty good. And I remember just, I know exactly where, where I was and how I was drifting it. Mm-hmm. And I do what I was doing, what I call a slow slide off the bank. Once I would get really tight presentations. What's a slow slide? Um, I told you that positioning and I will cast it mostly across, but slightly up. Okay. And now, uh, the fish, let's say, let's pretend that we think that we know that Edgar was sitting, you know, <laughs> uh, just six inches off the bank and faced upstream. And looking and maybe even picking on bait fish over there, but looking for an opportunity. So my streamer went in up above him um, and it had a, uh, the broadside look, you know, that profile. So he was seeing the whole thing. And I, the slow slide to me is holding that profile look, that broadside look as long as you can, showing that broadside look to him as long as you can right against the bank. So most people will put a streamer on the bank and then they'll strip off of it. Well, that fish doesn't get a real long chance to look at it. Right. He sees it on the bank and then, oh, oh, there it goes. Or the fish downstream from where you target. Yeah. And so the slow slide idea is to put it on the bank and allow that fish and then plenty of fish maybe even after it. Just hold the bank seam for as long as you can with a broadside look. And then eventually, of course, it does uh, uh, get to the end. You, you can't hold it on there anymore. And it's going to swing out. And then often, quite often at night, on the slow slide is when just when it starts, just when it starts to swing off the bank and kind of flips the head from, well, the head position flips. Right. That, that's when, Ed, seriously, that's when Edgar ate it. <laughs> and, uh, huh? That's what I was doing. Slow slide. It was fun. All right. If I was going to come out there and fish with you again. Yeah. And it was good the first time we were in the winter. <laughs> Remember that? We catch I do. Uh, I was going to save that for last. In the snowflakes, yeah. baby. <laughs> uh, 
what are a couple of easy flies that uh, kind of work? We said reasonable flies. I yeah. don't know if maybe that's a new word. Reasonable flies. Reasonable patterns. That's right. They work. You know, they, of course, they're not going to work all the time. Yeah. But you know, uh, especially with consideration to tying expertise. So you know, easy to easy to tie. Most of my favorite flies are easy to tie. You know, um, people call them guide flies, but I've been fishing those for long before I started guiding. Yeah. You know, I, it, and my theory on flies is attract them with something and then don't turn them off. I think they're looking for reasons not to eat your fly. I think that's a big deal. Anyway, both of these flies, I'm going to say, uh, almost pick any egg pattern, but I like a nuke egg. Let's say that orange nuke egg. Were we fishing that or the, or the sucker spawn? Uh, I think the sucker spawn. Probably the sucker spawn. So I only carry eight, two egg patterns anymore. Or like anybody else, I had, oh, I don't know, a dozen egg patterns and I've whittled it down to those two. One's mostly yellow, has a little bit of orange. That was our sucker spawn. Yeah, I think that's what we were fishing. Right? Yeah. And the other is the opposite. It's the exact same color scheme, but it's the opposite. It's mostly orange and a little bit of yellow for the veil on that nuke egg. Uh, those are both easy to tie and, you know, cheap to tie too. Um, yeah. I fish those with split shot in front, about five inches in front. You can beat it. Well, I'm telling you, you're going to change the presentation by putting a bead on it, but fair enough, you'll catch fish. Um, and the other fly... I would say is a zebra midge. It's easy. <laughs> and uh, 20 inch or uh, 20, uh, size 20. Uh, thank zebra you for midge. saying that. You like zebra midges? <laughs> I love the zebra midge, man. I wrote a whole article about how the zebra midge is like the perfect first fly to tie. I missed that. Because it works everywhere. I mean, it, it just, it catches fish and uh, you don't have to tie it super, super tiny. You know, you could tie 18 and be okay. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I lose, use lots of 18s. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Those are both good and easy to tie. If you could only fish your waters yep. two days of the year, which two days would you fish and how would you fish them? Tomorrow and the next day. Enough <laughs> 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 right? said. That's a good answer. No, but seriously, I don't mean to be a smart ass. Um, boy, I do love those winter days. I'm going to say January 15th. I, don't, I almost don't care how cold it is as long as the water is in good shape. And um, maybe I hope it is really cold, uh, down to 10 degrees. I, mean, I don't really like single digits, but anywhere from, yeah, 10, 15 degrees. That's cool. I'm okay because I know nobody else is going to be out there. That solitude that those kind of really tough temps give you, um, that's, that's special to me. So I don't know. One of our favorite local streams in those conditions, that's definitely one of my – and give me a whole day. And you know what? Those winter days are short. There we're at, I'm going to be scientific, and we're at the winter solstice at that point, right? Right. <laughs> winter equinox. Equi I don't know. Uh, but no, you're at the, it, really short days. Um, and I, I often will get to the end of those, like, man, is that it? Is it getting darker? Right? It's 430. Oh, man, I'm running out of daylight. And you're going to be nymphing or what? Man, I tr seriously, I try almost everything. Ex I would not prospect with dries. But no kidding, once in a while on those Let's say January 15th days, you can run into a midge hatch. And uh, especially if, you, if you're thinking about it ahead of time, you put yourself around some spring water, some spring seeps, or maybe some significant spring flow coming in. You got a good shot, especially when the sun's out. You have a good shot um, at finding, I'll say, smaller fish usually, um, eating some midges. So, yeah, yeah, nymphing is going to be my baseline for win winter fishing almost always. But I also fish a lot of streamers too. Day two. Oh yeah, I forgot. Two days, right? 
That's look, right. Seriously, um, tomorrow, because it's uh, it would be where would we almost uh, July. June thirtieth. So let me let me then say July first, right? And here's my point on that. Um, my favorite hatch season is when there's no hatch, no significant hatch. When all of the significant hatches here are over. Like I get it out west, a lot of things are just kicking off, you know. But right here, uh, most of our major hatches are over. Uh, once once the green drakes are over, a lot of local anglers hang things up. So once again, I have a lot more water to myself. And really, a lot of the out-of-state anglers, a lot of the guide trips and stuff are over until fall. And so I, ha- I get a lot more water to myself. And seriously, my favorite thing to do, one of my favorite things to do, is uh, just prospect with an ant pattern. And just like those egg patterns, I said, I used to have a, probably a dozen terrestrial patterns. Ants in this way and that way, and beetles and small crickets and uh, small grasshoppers. I'm down to one. One terrestrial. One terrestrial. Uh, parachute ant. But again, in multiple sizes. Sometimes it's, uh, it, it'll take a six to get clear down to a 16. But lo- I like to start with like a 10 or a 12, something big and juicy. And I can splat that on the water in likely spots where I can yeah. just drop it easily on the water. And I love just covering water almost as fast as I would cover uh, if I was fishing streamers. And I'm just prospecting. I'm just looking for trout that want to eat it. And that is quite predictable all summer long. And it really does start for me, like that terrestrial season, late June. But especially once it gets to July, I go, here we go. That's what I'm going to do. And instead of nymphing as a, as a first option, that's what I start to do. And I mean, I'm going to do that all summer long. And it's, to me, the best dry fly fishing of the year. And, I mean, you'll catch big fish, too. There's no joke. Those trout are sitting on the edges and looking for something to fall in. And it's exciting fishing because your uh, your ant goes in and they eat. Yeah. It's like hit, eat. You know, I love it so much. Now they'll, they'll eat it in the middle of the stream too. And you, you cover some of that on the way to some of that best bank water. I love it. It's great stuff. Before I ask you my last question, Dom, how can people that don't know, how can people find out more about you and Trout Bitten? And um, what are you excited about in trout bitten's future so since we talked the last time i mean you know lots changed there was no podcast i had no podcast right I know. and i learned a lot from uh, talking with you about how how i should set things up on my own podcast so that was cool <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah that the podcast is an easy way you know to find trout bitten and i'd say what something that's really changed over the last year especially is having the other trout pitting guys being part of the whole thing. They've always provided me great, great photography and uh, been very supportive in other ways. But, but now Austin and Bill guide for me. And now that all the guys are on the podcast and it's, uh, you know, we're, we're in touch weekly. Um, we're looking face to face the way we do these podcasts. And so that, that, that friendship, those friendships are even stronger than they ever were. Uh, we fish more, and uh, get to see each other more and share ideas. And, you know, we have a group group chat, you know, because we're talking about what we're going to say, you know, what we're going to think about on the podcast. And Sure. So that's neat. Um, and now, too, I'm working with Josh Darling of Wilds Media. And, you know, you had Josh on your podcast. Yes. He's fantastic. He is. You know, because there's, there's revenue coming in from different streams now. Uh, there's different revenue streams coming in from different places. And trout bitten has grown to the point, you know, where I can, uh, 
really get this YouTube channel going. And I've felt for a while, like, if I don't get YouTube going, I'm going to be, you know, behind a little bit, you know? And there's so many things through the articles. And you know what I mean. When you're writing an article, a lot of times, oh, I'll be thinking, like, there's only so much I can do with words here. I'd really right. like to show people what I'm talking about with video. And now we can do that. And uh, that's another way to find Trout Pitten is on the YouTube channel. And I'm excited about it. We, had, we, we just started a fly fishing, the mono rig series, and there's a Trout Pitten tips series. And they're two similar but different things. And we're trying to tackle different things we might do kind of a fish along series i'm not quite sure exactly how that'll go exactly what it'll look like but it's that's what i'm excited about i guess is is all the different opportunities the new podcast season coming up and the new videos well we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes it's definitely a tremendous resource um i said it before and uh i've learned a lot what about you man what what's next what's next on your plate you got 100 episodes down that's fantastic (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot uh, of work. And you well, don't I'm supposed stop. to ask the last, you don't get the last question. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, maybe that's good because I've already asked you my last question, so I can't. I've been thinking the whole episode in my back of my brain, what's my last question going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've really kind of stepped up. I've been painting a lot more, and yeah. um, I just keep doing the podcast. I, I love the podcast selfishly because I get to meet and learn I yeah. learn a ton and I hope that other people learn too, because yeah. really that's why I started the podcast was because, you know, I, I ran out of, not didn't run out of, but I realized that I, my stories and my experience were just one kind of part of what I, what I could teach and what I could bring to the table yeah. and that there was a ton of people like me that thought like me that had interesting stories, connections to fly fishing yeah. and then, um, and think about it in a way that I'm just so appreciative of when I uh, talk to folks like you and that, and we've joked a lot about it on the show, (laughs) um, but it's being tactical. And I mean, you know, I'll keep doing the podcast. I plan on um, writing some more articles, getting more articles out before the end of the year. And then just um, I'm in the mountains now, so it's cool. I can take my art to different places and, Mm -hmm. and go to shows and fly shops and things. So I'm excited about that. And fishing more right now that you're, just closer to the new water. Yeah, it's tough now because I have to be like, well, do I fish or do I go write this or do I go edit or do I? Yeah. Because I have I, I have that. a kid and I have a river. Like you said, grab a kid. Grab a kid. <laughs> go fishing. <laughs> um, yeah, I look forward to just getting better at fly fishing and being able to go a lot more and being yeah. able to bring a lot more to the table myself through the stories because yeah. I just have more opportunities to learn myself and then share those stories good for you so that's cool and it it was a big deal moving out here you know i know it yeah i was excited for you it was cool and it's been cool and it's uh every day is better than the next i mean being in the mountains with my family and being able to take them to the river like we started in the beginning Mm -hmm. you took my thunder in the beginning talking about (laughs) kids we we were gonna end on that one but uh yeah man just take my kid and um fishing all seasons and fishing yeah. for a couple hours and all that. That's been great. You need access to trout water. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, to be a trout bum of any sort. <laughs> it's helpful. So I want to ask, in in that light, I guess, um, you know, when I was out there, I yeah. just... 
I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do, but maybe you don't. Well, it was the day it was snowing, like you alluded oh, to yeah, earlier. It was, it was snowing. And I mean, I haven't done a lot of winter fishing. Yeah. You know, I did a little bit in the fall when I was in Colorado, but never was in love with fly fishing enough really to kind of explore sure. that kind of thing until more recently. And so that day when it was snowing and it was like, well, hopefully it stops snowing because I, I got to get out of here. I can't drive. Oh, yeah. Because you were driving a Mustang? I was in a Mustang. Rented. Yeah, that's, that was a rental. the rental car Mustang. they gave me at the yeah. time. In, yeah. Rear wheel drive in what? Ended up be about six or eight inches of snow, was it? It was a lot of snow. Yeah. But we're on the river and <laughs> we're, t- we're fishing and I'm going through my mono rig and tying on my flies and you're out in the water catching fish and stuff. And, and there was a moment where we stopped and you walked over. We're kind of fishing close together and we, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but yeah. we were, we were talking about something about how I caught this fish this way and you caught a fish that way. And we're kind of comparing notes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just remember being like, this is, um, the, the tactical part of it, the, the problem solving and tactics is what I appreciate so much about trout bitten and what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's just because of the world I came from. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just something that I'm used to and I, I love thinking about things in that, in that technical way. Yeah. So I wonder for someone who, I don't know where that comes from. If it doesn't come from, it's kind of a personal question, but I don't know why do you look at fly fishing so tactically? What what makes you approach it the way that you do? Because for me, mm-hmm. I I see it as a connection to a, a thought pattern that I've kind of learned or that I think about these things and it kind of fills that void for my brain. Yeah. But it's not like that for everybody. There's plenty of people that approach it similarly that don't have the similar background to me. I'm just wondering why you approach fly fishing that way. I learned to always believe that it's possible to catch them and i guess that's because so often it is you know uh, and we all have a lot a lot of difficult days and just are they that hard i don't know you're fishing but by difficult i mean that the fish won't eat and when that happens uh, there have been so many times where i say i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try that and then finally i try that fifth thing and it happens. You said sometimes it's a pattern. There's no doubt. You put on something green or pink or yellow or whatever. Sometimes it's a bold color. And you go, ooh, I figured something out. And that's tactical. And other times it's, you know, we talked about earlier. I go, maybe I'm walking through some shallow riffles and I go, wow, I just saw a fish go boom, boom, boom. I just spooked four fish out of there. Maybe I should have fished that. Then I go find another shallow riffle. And that's tactical. It's a... Uh, it's it's solving that mystery. It's solving that puzzle. I talk about that a lot. I write about that. We, You and I have talked about that. There is something to figure out. And I get it. Not everybody thinks of fishing that way. And there are other species that are certainly easier than trout, especially wild brown trout, um, are, are, are difficult. And I don't know. That's why we love them, because they are... Yeah, you know they're they're picky, they're challenging, and they're going to do different things every day. And when you think you got them figured out, then they say, "Nah, you're wrong." Well, it's like you said too. It's you know sometimes people look at it and they're like, "Well, it's just fly fishing, man." Like you know, mm-hmm. it, keep it simple. And I definitely believe in keeping it simple. Sure, but 
it is it can be complicated and sometimes some of the joy that i find is through the complications and that oh, yeah. is to me the tactical part and that's what i when i read your stuff and i talk to you and when i'm on the river with you and we're you know talking about that i'm like yes this is what i love i love yeah tactics i love this you said a complicated joy <laughs> yeah that's good <laughs> That's great. It's joyful complication. Yeah, yeah. My buddy Bo, I wrote something really technical. Once in a while, I'll really, not once in a while, quite often, I'll really dig in. I've written enough articles that are setting things up that now many articles are really digging in deep. And my buddy Bo texted me, you know, sometimes, Dom, we just want to go out there and fish. You know, sometimes I don't want to think about all that. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I get it. Right. And I feel like that. I don't necessarily want to focus on all of these things, but the truth is that I'm not. I'm out there. I have already thought that stuff through. And now I'm going out there with this one thing that I want to change. There's this new tactical idea, but it's based on everything else that is coming second nature. And I got really one new thing to think about out there. Yeah. And I do recognize that so many of the deeply tactical articles that I write, or maybe sometimes when we do a really technical podcast, that not everybody is ready for all of those things all at once. And that's all right. Like, you can't learn everything at once. I get it. Yeah. And I hope that people don't think I'm saying like, oh, you should be able to do all all of this right now. No, no, no. But it's the next thing to think about. And what I've found in the industry through the years, I remember some of those early, uh, back in the 90s, some of the uh, magazine articles that I was reading is that I think the industry under underestimates the average angler. And I've always tried to be more advanced, let's say, um, in the tactics. I, I want to write stuff that people haven't written about. I want to talk about things that aren't commonly talked about. And like talking with you and all my trout pit and buddies and, you know, so many of the clients that I guide, I find that people are really into these tactics because they've fished in the common ways. They want to do something that's uncommon, and they want to change that one thing. You want to see if that one thing makes a difference. And when it does, that's the reward. You go, wow, that's cool. And you learn something from it. Maybe it works the next time too, or you make another revision. And uh, that's, that's what keeps you in it for a lifetime too, you know, the solving those little puzzles. That's why I like the tactics. Dominic, thank you for being on the show. Thank yeah, you man. for um, all that you're doing over at Trout Bitten. I really appreciate it, and I know a lot of other people do as well. And um, I just uh, really enjoyed talking with you, and uh, hope to do it again soon, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, dude. That's uh, that's nice. That's kind of you to say nice things about Trout Bitten, and I feel the same. Uh, 200th episode. Let me let me be on the. The 200th episode. 200. 200. We'll time it better. (laughs) All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, Wade Out There.